Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This is Off Track with Hinch and Rossi. Hello and welcome to another Off Track with Hinch and Rossi. And guys, again, it's a special episode today. It's a very special episode. I'm super it's, excited. It's, it's the most special episode we've had in a really long time, actually. It's, yeah, it is. It is. Um, no, no, we don't have a guest. Um, it's actually, no, we don't have... It's, it's going to be a lot quieter. It's going to be quieter. It's going to be... It's gonna be magical. It's gonna be beautiful, man. Just, just Hinch and Rossi having a great time, without the annoyance, the encumbering presence, the always interrupting. Thim producer Thim. Now the best part is, the best part is, as we record this, though he is not present on camera or microphone, he can actually still hear us. So the best part is, we can sit here and talk as much. We want not that we ever hold back what he's here anyway, but it seems funnier that he can hear it and cannot respond. Although this reminds me of like one of the most terrifying things in the world to me. Can I just tell you about one of my biggest fears? I know what it is. I bet I can guess what it is. Okay, yes, because I feel like we may have already talked about this. No, I bet I can just guess what it is. Okay, being being mic'd up for something and then no. not real. Oh, okay. I mean, I've de- no coming. I mean, that's a that's like a that's a regular fear, yes, but it's not right. like one of my biggest fears in life. Okay. My biggest, I watched this show when I was a kid, not a kid. I, when I was in university, I watched this show um, called Nip Tuck, yes, I'm, and it was I'm about aware. these. Okay, you know that show. There was an episode where this woman was getting operated on, and the anesthetic like knocked her body out where she couldn't move, but she was still conscious and she could still feel but she couldn't react in any way right and so she felt them like cutting her open and stuff that i was like like that that like that episode it totally messed me up for a very long time and i figured that it couldn't have been real it must have just been something they did for the sake of the show and i've subsequently read stories where this very thing happened and so she was legitimately trapped in her own in her own hell body yes. of pain yes she was yeah, that yes sounds pretty horrifying and this, this, yeah. So she like but that. That goes along with like the the fear of getting into an accident or you know being paralyzed to a certain extent and not having the ability to express yourself. I don't know. Like I think that just goes hand in hand. Like that, it wouldn't take a special episode of a very terrible television show for me to um, <clears throat> kind of have that fear. Like that fear is a real fear. Every time I have like any sort of sedation, like that's a fear of mine. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. 
I've had I've had things where like certain parts of my body had to be like like numbed to a point that was concerning because like you can't like you're just staring at it and it doesn't move and you can't move it and you're like I don't I don't love that I don't love yeah. that feeling I imagine that was your entire not just your body like your like your fate your mind like they thought she was unconscious but right. she could still ah. I mean, we often look at Tim and expect him to do things and he's not doing what we want him to do. So that happens. Yeah. It's funny. Uh, I saw so do? many pictures on social media of Tim in Long Beach yet saw him once for three seconds. Like I didn't even see him. Oh. I didn't get to see him at all. Well, he clearly has way more friends than us. He's um, got a lot of fans. Which is surprising. Although did see, we... Did you see the flag that existed? So whoever is the off-track listener that is in Long Beach and has uh, a condo kind of overlooking turn nine. If you're listening to this episode, we applaud you for hanging the basically anti-thim flag because he saw that, he recognized that, and was very deeply um, offended by it, which is ultimately our goal. So That's all we're here for, guys. So we appreciate you showing up. The the off-track workers is what we'll call them. The the off track marshals, uh, doing their duty. Which, but we, you and I, had even bigger off track fans and supporters there. In the, uh, I tried to block this one out of my memory. What it was awesome. So we found, and 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 we on air we showed uh, this. Lady and this gentleman, both wearing these beautiful Hawaiian-style shirts with nice beach scenery on them, and one had a bunch of Alex Rossi faces on them, and one had a bunch of Inch faces on them, and they we found we found them with the cameras. They made it on the broadcast, which was hilarious. So I actually posted uh, about this because I thought it was hilarious and awesome and great, and I and I got a response on social media. So we've been in touch. And we are going to do something with these people in the future because these are true fans, Alex. And yes, I love that's, what that's they do. fine. But like the, the the pictures that they chose to have Hawaiian plastered all over their shirts was not the most flattering. But I guess do you do you know where your picture was from? No, because I figured out where mine was from. Okay, I'm pretty sure. Okay, where, where like it, it was. Well, it was well. It was the. It was from the photo that Becky and I posted announcing our engagement, where we both just look like mildly terrified. And I haven't seen you make that particular face very often, so I wasn't sure if it was maybe instantly recognizable to you. Yeah, I mean, all that I know is a hundred percent. It was a Chris Owens photo because I always try <laughs> make obscene faces and gestures Fair. when he is around. Fair. Um, but yeah, no, I mean. I, I appreciate the effort. I just, you know, I, I, I'm trying to, you know, still look good for the world. Um, yeah, that, I don't think this helping. is the context. <laughs> I don't think this is the context that's really going to sway people one way or the other. Uh, we have, though, now received information uh, from Thim, who, again, can hear us but cannot talk, which is that's great. But he texted us to tell us that it was, in fact, a gentleman by the name of Doug Ellison who made the sign who we know uh, he's a, he's a very, very uh, big fan of the show and a, a beloved member of it. And um, he is also like kind of friends with them and still hung that on a building. 
So I appreciate Doug for his understanding of the situation here at Off Track. With well, anyone that's, anyone that's a friend of Tim also knows all of the pitfalls and the negativities that come with being friends with Tim. So. Yes, most, most of his friends end up being anti-friends. Uh, so uh, what a weekend. What a weekend. What a time. Southern what California, a, one amazing, of your home races. What an amazing turnout, I have to say. Like, mm-hmm. California showed up. Um, I mean, Los Angeles, it's a very competitive market, right, for a lot of reasons, a lot of things going on to attract people's attention. And the the, the day that stood out the most to me, you know, always Sunday, you know, we usually get a pretty good turnout there, um, especially now that we were back on our normal date this year. But Friday, when we had the world's hottest practice session, my God, I think in recent IndyCar memory, track temperature of 137 degrees. I don't I've never seen that. I've never seen um, no. I was driving through like turn nine and ten and like the stands were packed and it was really, really cool. So a huge shout out to everyone that came. Thank you. Um and 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 bared or dealt with the heat. Um fortunately Saturday and Sunday was better. But yeah, let's talk about that Friday session. Like that was weird for so many different reasons. It was hot in the booth where we have air conditioning. Like it was, it was searing. I cannot even imagine what it was like in those cars, especially with the aero screen. We had one shot of Will coming in, at, you know, after a run during practice. And as soon as the car stopped, he was just going like this, like, give me the fan, give me the fan right now. Give me the fan. It, it looked yeah. just miserable. It honestly, I mean, yeah, it, it wasn't that bad. Cause you know, James, like when you're doing, you know, four to six lap runs, um, it's a pretty short duration and you're not working that hard. For you that can make time. So, yeah, yeah. So the, the heat wasn't, wasn't that bad for a session like that. But what was crazy was, so we, we all, you know, kind of did our, our weekend prep on the Friday and did the track walk on the Thursday and we all knew it was going to be super hot. And, you know, I had talked to, to Ricky Taylor um, after his IMSA session uh, before our session. He was like, yeah, you know, some of that sealer is, is a little bit weird in some of the corners and it's a different feel and the, the wheel kind of feels like it's, it's pulling itself out of your hand a little bit and the car's kind of searching for grip and it feels like you have a lot of pickup on your tires at times and all this stuff. And I was like going into this thinking, this is going to be terrible. It's, it's going to suck. It's going to be really bad. <laughs> and so it's super prep, hot, and which it's is never good hot. for the track. But yeah. It's just going to be horrifying. So we, we roll out for the session with the car that we had last year, which was a great car, obviously. Um, with just a, a few small adjustments that you normally make um, for the first session of the weekend to account for lower track grip. And um, the best practice time in 2021, in September, when it was cool, was a 69.1. So we were all thinking, man, like if you're in the high 69s, like that's going to be probably the, the, the target lap that you're looking for and all this stuff. And because we had... Um, you know, an extra set of tires for the weekend just because the way the schedule worked out with the limited practice. Anyways, so we went out right away, and I was one of the first cars on track, and we had no reference of a competitive time, and I kind of did my first lap, and, like, not trying at all, just kind of driving around and bringing the tires up and seeing how the turns Making sure the ride heights were okay. And, like, just, yeah. just driving around, like, not yeah. trying. And it was like a 69.6. And I was like, okay. And then the next lap was just a little bit like more put together and it's a 69-0. And then I started trying and it was like low 68s. 
and then we were in the 60s it was just phenomenal the the, the grip level that existed and it, it just surprised the hell out of everyone and and the biggest thing that was so crazy is so turn 11 is the, the slowest corner the hairpin is the slowest corner in in the entire season slowest corner on the calendar and usually you know steering weight is associated with um, high-speed corners, high-grip tracks, you know, your barbers of the world, the longer duration, high-speed corners, that's when the, the steering load is, is something that you really feel and have to deal with. Turn 11 was the hardest corner I have ever driven in an Indy car in my six years, seven years, I don't, whatever, of drive. I literally every time thought I was going to crash because I couldn't, the amount of effort and the amount of rubber buildup from the drift cars and then this, the, this was by the race or this, are we still talking practice one practice one practice one <laughs> i literally had to set the caster and everything based on turn 11 a 20 mile an hour corner where you're on the idle it was so unbelievably heavy like is that and is that just a function of the fact that you have to put so much lock in so uh, because the, the because the grips higher and the weights heavier but you have to do it like i mean a, a hundred yeah. more degrees than your average corner <laughs> sure but initiating the turn was also very hard like, that's too funny turn turn six turn eight you know turn five nothing like totally normal like not a big issue still fast as compared to previous years but turn 11 was horrifying it's got to be the drift rubber, right? Like that's yeah. just got to be a function of sure. all that rubber For getting sure. laid down. Like there was so much rubber at one point during the race where we were actually bottoming the chassis on rubber. Yeah. So instead, like usually you bottom the car on a bump or, you know, camber changes or elevation changes, whatever, compression zones. We were bottoming the car on rubber. Um, I, re so anyways, I remember – I remember that happening one time in the last corner at St. Pete. There was like a like mm -hmm. a seam in the pavement, yep. and it, that was like collecting rubber in the seam, and you could feel it on the bottom of the car going through. Yeah, that's wild. So, so, so crazy. No, go ahead. So yeah, okay. So the so the only uh, the only thing that we can all think of and believe was the cause of this insane increase in grip is this sealer that went down on the track. That did you guys even know about that before you showed up? We did not know about the sealer, um, but if if that is 100% responsible, we need to contact the state of California and get that sealer and apply it to a variety of different racetracks. So, like, okay, so do you Texas think... Texas being number one. Right, right. In your opinion, did it uh, make any significant difference to the racing and not just the lap time and the grip level like do you think by having more grip in turn six and turn eight that it actually opened up any more possibilities for passing or no i don't think it did I think it would be worse like i don't think that you know sometimes a lot of people associate faster laps and shorter braking zones and higher rolling speeds and corners is like oh that's going to make it a worse race that was not at all the case um but no, it, it didn't make it any better. It was your typical Long Beach. You know, you could you could have a run on someone if, um, you know, the tire started to go, which, you know, the reds certainly certainly do. And, um, you know, if you were on a new red versus a used black, there was something there. But no, I, I don't think it was really any different. Um, and I honestly, I think it was a great thing. Like, it was so enjoyable to drive the cars. It was enjoyable for the engineers because for once we got to, like, 
get aggressive with the car instead of always regressing and trying to make it more compliant and deal with worse grip and worse conditions. Like this was the first weekend I remember in a long time where we can make big steps to like take advantage of, of the grip that was there and, and do things a little bit out of the box. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like a throwback to the Aero Kit days, right? I mean, since the Universal Kit came in 18 and then we had the uh, Aero Screen come in 20, you're taking away downforce, you're adding weight, you're doing all these things that kind of slow it down and, and yeah. make the car a bit lazier, whatever, whatever. Now, just by out of pure track grip, even though all those things still exist, you now have this level of grip that is all like mimicking the the downforce levels almost that we had during oh, the manufacturing kit. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it was it was a second faster than the the Aero Kit days, and like the car became really enjoyable to drive again. Like, not that an Indy car isn't enjoyable to drive, but certainly, you know, it's being a part of that evolution that you talked about from 2016 Aero Kit days to 2020 spec aero kit and aero screen days like the cars slow down and it, it's it's become worse to drive which is you know the same for everyone but this was like a uh as you just said a, a flashback and it was awesome it reminded you kind of how much fun indie cars are and i felt so bad like talking to you you know someone that was there just last year marco came on sunday it was like guys like this is this is the weekend you want to be driving. Like it's it's really awesome. Yeah, and this is this was the was the first time in the year where I was like I I mean I just love this track so much. I love this event, and I was I was I was missing being out there, especially when I saw the time start coming down. I mean, we got to qualifying, and Colton's pole was what, almost a full second quicker than the track record. It was over a second quicker. Yeah, was it over a second quicker? Yeah. Oh yeah, it was because yeah, well, he did a zero. He did a five three, and the record was a okay. six four. I thought. No, it was a six two. So nine ten. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, that should, I, that that's I love you love that right. You love just breaking records left, right, and center. Like that's that's a that's a fun thing about going to the racetrack. That's cool. Um, in so in the fast six, you were on what would have been your best lap of the weekend when the red came out for Grosjean. So you know, your yeah. low your low fuel your red tires. You're going for it. Was that the most fun you've had in an Indy car in the last three years? Yeah, I mean the whole qualifying session was awesome. Like the round one, I think we did a five eight, and then round two was a five five, and then round three was going to be like a five four or something. And you just you were rewarded by taking risks. Like there wasn't the, the fear really of you know having a snap oversteer moment or overdriving and sliding wide. It was like how aggressive do you want to be is probably going to pay off um, for the most part. So. Like you were, you were starting to take a lot of chances, especially in like the fountain and, and the turn three and five section, which is why I think honestly there was the most amount of crashes there, um, because that's where the the majority of the sealer had gone down. And I think that there was obviously some form of sealer or remnants of the sealer for the rest of the track, but like turn three to five was unbelievable, or turn two I should say, the fountain to turn five was unbelievable, and that's where so much of the lap time was coming. And guys were just like, well. I got to keep trying because it's still going faster type thing. And that's why you were seeing it, it bite so many people. Um, and that, and that, that's what I'm just going to say. I mean, uh, it, we saw a lot more incidents, you know, this weekend in practice, in qualifying, and ultimately in the race. You know, we had, I think, seven retirements in the race. Um, do you think turn four is a great example? A bunch of them were there. We had a bunch of spins there that came out with relatively no, you know, little, little to no contact, which was very lucky for a couple guys. But do you think that's it? Do you think that the the level was just so the grip level was so much higher that the speeds were so much greater 
that your sort of margin for catching a moment shrinks, that window sort of closes as the speeds go up. Do you think maybe that's part of why we saw more guys, you know, cranking the wall? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I think that's that's definitely it. And also, I don't think, you know, no one had experienced like this. So everyone, every session, and, you know, you only get so many opportunities, so many so many matches to burn on new tires, right, where you can really explore the limit of, of the potential of the cornering capability that you have. Um, and so, yeah, I think just every set of tires, guys were just trying again and again, and it, they were getting away with it. So, like, where do you stop type thing? Um, so, I mean, I had, I was very, very lucky. Um, and it's why I wasn't really too angry about the, the fast six red flag situation because on my first lap in round one on reds, like I properly hit the wall out of turn five. Um, but I was lucky because it was, it was square and it was square. The, yeah. It was the both left sides. It's not like it was just the rear or something like that. And it was a big enough hit where I was like, uh, it's, I'm going to break in turn six and it's just going to go straight type thing. And it didn't, and everything was fine. And so I was like, wow, uh, finally we got away with, with one. So that was cool. And obviously able to progress to qualify. Yeah. I mean, it was, I think everyone, everyone hit the wall in some fashion, um, throughout the weekend. Like you couldn't, you couldn't get away from it. Like it was just, it, it, it was the, the way it went, um, which was a lot of fun. Honestly, really enjoyed it. Yeah. So, okay. So the race itself, uh, the start was pretty clean. Uh, you know, we, we, we talked about how in Long Beach for the la- for seven of the last nine years, we'd had a caution in the first 10 laps, but everybody got through the first two cleanly and thought maybe we were going to, you know, skew that, uh, skew that statistic back the other way. Ultimately, we did have one, I think on lap five or six with, uh, with Dalton there, but for you, start of the race was pretty standard, pretty straightforward. It was like a, it was a two-stop yeah. race, right? So it wasn't like yeah, it was a two-stop two-stop race. Long Beach. I mean, I I feel like we need to do something about making it longer. Um, a, it's a it's a relatively short race, especially with the the historically low cautions we had. I mean, this year was a little bit different, but um, historically short race from a time wise perspective. And then it's just it's such a clear two-stop. Like there's no. There's no not even a consideration. You do, like, yeah, you don't even really have to try to that hard. Yeah. No, not at all. So I would love to see the race being longer. Um, but yes, so it started as a two-stop. I started fifth, um, you know, had a look kind of three wide down into turn one. And I knew we had a fast car, right? So if, if it was going to open up for me, great. But I knew that we had a car that could pretty easily be on the podium. So it wasn't any sort of i wasn't looking to take any big risks um and then yeah the, the first part of the race was was pretty straightforward had a good battle with with felix um the red big, tires. big move into turn one on felix yeah yeah after the fourth attempt like right I, <laughs> you know it's it's we say it every year um that we have this current engine package but you know for, for a long time you know honda certainly had an advantage on street courses and especially on uh on a street course like Long Beach where, you know, turn 11 is such a slow speed corner and there's, you're at the bottom of first gear and there's a lot of drivability and traction concerns coming out of there leading onto a very long straight. In the past, you know, that's been a big advantage for Honda. Um, I don't think we have that advantage anymore. I don't right. think we're, we're at a deficit, but certainly in years past, you know, when you were behind a Chevy car, you were like, oh, I'm definitely going to just kind of get the run out of 11 just because we have better, better traction. Um, 
that was not the case. So um, <laughs> I was getting the best exits I could with with no wheel spin, and and they were just able to match it. So it took a pretty decent lunge, um, which unfortunately used up all of my front tire um, to to make that happen. And um, you know, I think what's interesting about the Firestone tire this year is it's it's still kind of a mystery to everyone. You know, there was there was a lot of people that were like. Oh, it's a hundred percent going to be a used red race. It's going to be, um, you're just going to put the blacks on and then, and then use your new reds and your used reds. And I, I, I kind of believe that after warm up, but everything else in indications that I was getting throughout the weekend were like, no, I don't think they're, they're going to last. And sure enough, they don't. And it, and it's weird because they give you all of these trends, you know, they, they improve in the fast six from when they're new. Right. Um, they did that in St. Pete as well. And, and then you put them on the race and it's just like they, they've got a lot of life in them for like 10 ish laps. And then it's it's a pretty big fall off. So I think Firestone's done a great job with the red tire, the street course tire this year. Um, I know that they were looking to make the, the gap from blacks to reds bigger and the deg bigger on the reds. And I think they've accomplished that. It's just weird because it's like usually the deg comes from from the rears. You know, it right. comes from, you know, that's where the most energy and, is being put into the car. And, and especially and there where you have a lot of these low speed, big traction events. Right. It's like we have almost unlimited rear grip now, which is kind of cool, but it's, um, it, 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 it kind of changes your driving style. Cause you get so used to really babying the rears and really protecting them, you know, kind of in the braking zones, but also like on, on throttle and such. And now it's, it's really the opposite. Like you're trying to burn off the rears as much as you can to, to keep the balance kind of in line as, as the front step down. So that's, that's something new that we're all dealing with. Um, and I think Detroit's going to be a big eye opener because historically the, the red deg there is, is pretty, pretty insane. So phenomenal uh, and very, very skewed towards the rears. Right, exactly. Yeah. So, okay. anyways, I, I think everything's been been going really well for the start of the year for for the series, and um, you know, look forward to Barbara here in a couple of weeks. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia.
So one of the things we talked about with the amount of kind of driver errors that we saw throughout the course of the weekend, what was the one in the race that surprised you the most? You know, there was quite a few guys that had issues. So the one, <laughs> I mean, I love the guy, but Simon, I'm, I'm, I, I, here's the thing. I don't have any issue with the move. I don't blame him. I don't blame Sakuma. I mean, you're trying to fit two cars into a narrow spot. Like I get it. Like there was an opportunity. Fine. Like it's been done. You, it's been, it's hard to do. So he's backwards. And here's where I don't understand it. Not only is, are you trying, yes. For those that didn't see this, I don't know how, but Takuma and Simon go into the fountain side by side. As Alex said, it's a one lane piece of racetrack, or you have to be very respectful of each other to get through there with two. That did not happen. Simon flew across the flower bed, just shy of the fountain, ended up backwards on the track, and then decided that the best thing for him to do was to drop the clutch, mash the gas, and drive up onto and park in the flower bed. So, okay, race cars are pretty low ride height. They are. So, Simon, so here's where I don't get it. Okay, let's say you're able to power through the flower bed and the concrete curb and everything, the fountain, like everything that is counting against you. Then what? Yeah. You're in a very narrow part. You're now going the opposite direction. You can't turn around there either. So no. what, are you, what was he planning on doing? Driving all the way to turn one? Backwards? I don't know. I, I, I really don't, don't understand where he thought it was going to... Yeah. That's what I, I don't get. I'm with you. It was, it was one of those things where it was obviously like a in-the-moment, like split second, didn't even have time to think about it sort of decisions. And maybe he was just simply trying to get out of the way of other cars because he was stopped in the middle of the racetrack right online. But yeah, I don't know if he thought, if he was just like sacrificing himself and realizing that he wasn't going to get out of there. I didn't think so. So he thought there was a way out from where he went in. And that just, it doesn't, it didn't didn't add up in hindsight. It's not like there was an access road or like a runoff area, like over the flower bed. So you might as well try. Like, right. Yeah. Yes. Anyways, I, uh, no. as, as I said on the broadcast, I was unaware he was such an avid horticulturalist and just big, wanted to big flower guy. Just wanted to stop and smell the roses. Maybe not the best time to do it, but fair enough. That one was that one was pretty comical. Yeah, and then I mean I've got to give a shout out to Jimmy. I mean I that's it sucks. Like it sucks for him to, to have the weekend that he did and to obviously hurt his hand, but obviously that's secondary to everything else he went through. Um, that, like I said, like that was a street course experience that I haven't experienced in over five years. It, even if, I, I mean, I don't even know if the arrow kit was kind of like that. Um, based on the lap times, it wasn't. So he was having to completely basically start from scratch right. to learn a new Long Beach. Um, you know, he th- would have thought, oh, I'm coming there after doing it, you know, however, five months ago, six months ago, I'm going to use my same notes and everything. And none of that would have applied. So he would have right. had to start from scratch again and going much, much quicker with much, much um, smaller margins for error. So that's a tough, tough one for him. And and um, yeah, I just feel bad that he had to have a weekend like that. OK, another one, one kind of final point on this. So there were quite a few incidents that. You could, you could call marginal from race control standpoint on whether or not they wanted to throw a caution. 
And on all of the marginal situations, they they elected not to. Uh, we still ended up having a few. I think we had four maybe caution periods on the day. That could have easily been six or seven. As a driver, when you're you know competing in this particular race, uh, were you happy that there weren't more cautions? Were there any of them that you thought was maybe a bit too much of a risk to leave green, but they did anyway? Or do you think they 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 played it right? Here's here's my thing um, with 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 what you just explained. So because of the rules in IndyCar with the pits being closed under yellow, there is so all of your strategy decisions and everything that you do in the race is based around the odds that you want to make sure you're not caught out on track without having pitted when it goes yellow. Right. And the, my issue with how the weekend was called was not that anyone particularly did anything wrong. It's that it's just another example of we have no idea now right. when a yellow is a yellow or it's acceptable to be a yellow. And it's just, you have these yellow flags that will make or break or make or break your day, right? And it's now just like up to a person as a judgment call and like, fine, maybe that's how it should be, but then don't close the pits under yellow. It's gotta be, if you're gonna make this rule that exists that can ruin someone's day and all of the drivers and strategists and teams are making decisions based on not being caught by that yellow, it has to be a black and white situation. It's not fair. Now, not only are you rolling the dice, you're rolling the dice with someone else's whim. Like it's not even, you're not even rolling the dice at a blackjack table where at least there's odds. Now you're rolling the dice and the dealer can decide if he's gonna give you a good card or not. And it's just like, Okay, so that's tough. That's really right. tough. Okay, so it brings up it brings up a good discussion, right? So let's say there's a situation where there's one of these marginal calls on the table. And by by a marginal call, I mean you know, maybe there's a You're car not putting anyone's that, life at risk. Correct. There's no, like maybe a right. car that's offline on a straightaway, perfectly visible, or there's like a piece of debris online-ish, but not necessarily everyone's going to and it's right in the middle of a pit cycle. Right. So it completely changes the complexity of the race if the yellow comes out and the pits close at that moment. Are you, Alexander, in favor of, in that sort of situation, letting everybody see that there's a thing there, leave it green for another lap, two laps, whatever it is, to let everybody maybe maybe just one full lap so everyone has the opportunity to come and pit if they want. And that way when the yellow comes out, all the leaders in theory are on the same strategy. Or are you in the the the, the camp of as soon as a yellow situation is identified, throw the yellow. Sometimes it's going to be in your favor. Sometimes it's going to be to your detriment. But at least you know that if a car's in the runoff or there's debris online or a car stops on track, you know the yellow's coming out right then. That's a very good question. And I think it's a it, tough one. It, eh? it's, it's, no, I think it's impossible to answer because that has never been clarified, is the way that we're doing it. So, no, there, for sure. Let, no, I'm saying be, which. There needs to be the consistency that exists in it. Right, which right, so, which we don't have right. currently. So, so then, which so then, which of those have, two? So then, I would 100% prefer option A, because ultimately that's getting that's getting rid of the roulette gamble, unless a car stoves it in and right. there needs if to be medical attention or like 100%. Okay, happens fine, but yes, certainly losing the race on a front wing end plate like that's that's a hard one to swallow. So like mm-hmm. yes, let's keep doing that, but like can we please then have it be very clear that 
this is how we're going to do it. Right. Because I, yeah. I still think there's some, 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 a gray area in there. So it's like, okay, well, maybe, maybe if he decides not to do it that day, then you would have been way better off not pitting. Right. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I think the rule is stupid in the first place. I think we the should have it for rule. ovals. Yes. There's so many things that we do different on ovals that we don't do in road and street courses. Like there's no reason why we can't have a set of rules for yellow flags for ovals and a set of yellow flag rules for road and street courses. That's been discussed at, at, at nauseum. Um, which brings me back to a very <laughs> funny situation that happened over the weekend. The driver's meeting on Thursday was hilarious. Because we, you know, Kyle was was presenting, you know, um, kind of the the bullet points for the weekend and what had changed, and um, referencing some some new things that they would do and using years examples in the past. And I had, you know, a, a, a follow up question to that, and that kind of started a little bit of a discussion. And we kind of got to the end of that, and then Will Power takes the opportunity to pipe up and is like, "Oh, well, while we're on a topic, like, what about blue flags?" And, you know, Will, Will likes to, he gets things in his mind and he harps on them a lot. Close yellows, close, closing the pits under yellows is one. Second um, lane sessions in Texas. Second lane sessions in Texas. And then mandatory blue flags if you're a lap down to leader. I agree with him on legitimately all of them. But it's funny because every single like off-season IndyCar driver's meeting, he brings these things up. Well, he used this as an opportunity to, to bring up the blue flag thing. And he was like, yeah, you know, I just think, you know, we should have a rule and it's about respect. And, and Kyle had a very good point. He was like, it's not up to me to determine who or who isn't respectful. Like this should all be, you all should agree on this ultimately as gentlemen. And if you're a lap down to the leader, you should probably just move. Like, and that and that does make a lot of sense. And, and and lady, and lady, apologies. And this year, it's actually been really good. I haven't had any issues with lap cars. Now, I haven't been leading anything, so Scott <laughs> McLaughlin might have a different different opinion. But my he, experience he does has been have fine. A different opinion, right? But yes. So, will will kind of doesn't get the response or answer that he wants, which I don't know why he would expect anything different. And then he's just like, "Oh, well, if that's the case, then fuck them all. I'm just gonna." block you too <laughs> and it was just such a willpower response um but well, yeah his, it's a, his his point was his point was can that he didn't we want manufacturers it, playing games right you didn't want teams or manufacturers playing games so if you are the last car on the lead lap and the leader is a rival team or rival manufacturer to whoever's running in second you don't hold up the leader for the sake of closing the gap from first to second but at the same time like the We've discussed this a million times. The last person in the lead lap technically has the right to fight for that position, regardless of how many laps are left in the race, whatever, whatever. And yes, there are situations where it's more egregious than others and there's nothing to gain by holding them up, whatever. But that's every driver's decision. It's not for race control to jump in and tell you're gonna like it's a team sport, Will. Like you're gonna you're gonna tell people that they can't ask their drivers to not let the leader by if you know, like it's just it was just such an outrage it's such an outrage it was like well if i you if i up from the back and you're like welcome to sports yeah. <laughs> it was like well how about we also have a rule where if i if i pop out to pass you have to just kind of let me go and not fight it too yeah, much because i mean you know? the run's like, already there so yeah like i'm already i'm trying so just let it happen 
you know, it's it was it was so funny. God bless him. It was such a funny, it was such a funny argument he was trying to make. Uh, ultimately, unsuccessfully. Uh, all right. So Long Beach in the books. Um, congrats to Joseph on. Uh, it was honestly, it was a really, it was a really good job that he did. Um, keeping a polo behind him coming out of the pits on that last sequence. That was very, very I, impressive. I watched that highlight. That was amazing. It was very, very impressive. Mm-hmm. Defensive driving 101, but like the most respectful kind. Like it was not, it was not it was questionable. Very, very anyway, it was, it was very professional. Uh, and then keeping Grosjean behind him on red tires on those last restarts there. Uh, so congrats to him. Great job. Um, and congrats to Grosjean on his first podium. And uh, who's third now? Oh, and Pelot. Pelot just being Pelot. Just 10 out of that, 19. That 10 podiums out of 19 races with Chip Ganassi Racing. That is a wild statistic. Yeah. That is yeah. an incredible, incredible effort. So And like is, I feel like I feel like I I know two where like he had a a failure where he yeah, was in like, the podium yeah, position. Indy GP was Indy one GP of them. Indy GP last year, that probably would have been a podium. Yeah. And there was another one, I think. Regardless. Yeah. Massively impressive and it shows he's right up there in the standings. Super close in the standings. Top four guys covered by fifteen points. Sixteen points maybe. Well, I mean, I had a pretty productive weekend. I passed um Ed Carpenter in the points. Thank <laughs> bless your heart, Ed. I passed um You know Ed wasn't Santino. driving this weekend, right? No, Neither I know was Santino. No, no, I know. Okay. <laughs> but I was still behind them. Right. Going into this there weekend. There were four drivers that had only done half the races that you were behind in points going into this weekend. Correct. So, like, I, I'm making moves. You know, I'm 18th, I think, in the points. Connor's Dude, that, you moved up more were... point, more positions and points than anybody, I feel. Oh, for sure. But for my, sure. Also, also my friend, uh, congratulations on making your 100th IndyCar start oh, this weekend. Oh, God. Yay. Go me. You're getting old. <laughs> That sucks. You are now in your second hundred <laughs> window of IndyCar races. You're right. It's like the whole I age am. thing. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Okay, so that's done. Next up is open test at Indy. Tell me thoughts, feelings, comments, concerns on that. Well, if it's dry, it'll be a miracle um, <laughs> because I think it's been raining in Indy every day for the past month. So reason Two I months. didn't come home. Um. If it is dry, it'll be f- fun, I suppose. I don't know. I think the open test. I don't like the open test. Like, yeah, it's kind of annoying because it's not the conditions of May. Um, it always feels garbage the first day because there's no rubber on the track, and then you panic that your car's crap, and then by the end of the second day, you kind of are a little bit better, but you do like your first group run, and it goes back to. <laughs> And you you spend the entire next three weeks thinking, oh, it's going to be terrible, and then you get on track in May and everything's fine. So, but you got to remember, Alex, it is very important to do this test because you don't get much practice time at the Indy Five Hundred. Right. Well, at least we may get an exorbitant amount of practice time, but at least you have to cover it on Peacock the entire time, James. <laughs> Yes, I will be working harder than all of you guys covering six understand. hours of practice. We every talked day about how hard it would be for you to like commentate on the roar before Daytona. I don't understand yeah. how you're going to con- commentate on five days of Indy 500 practice. We're going to be diving pretty deep into uh, every single driver out there um, because the on-track stuff will not cover. The only good news is, you know, since I don't know when it started, probably like 20... 
14, maybe 15. The practice days had that like 4.30 happy hour moment where everyone just goes out and does group running every day at that time. So at least we know that like two hours of the day will be pretty entertaining and the rest will be like, oh, look at him going around by himself for four laps. Not that quickly. Yeah. <laughs> Relatively and it's speaking. Not, it's, not, it's not even like... It's not even like there's really that much of a difference now in like, unless Juan, well, Juan will be there and Elio will be there. But besides the two of them, everyone else is on the same line. No one's doing anything. Like, you can't do anything different there, right? So it's not right, like you can right. even pick out, oh, look at that guy. He's doing that. That's cool. Let's see how that works for him. Like, everyone's just. No. So yeah. what we need is we need the state of California to come to the speedway and lay down some sealer. Three wide for the 500. Like Giddy the up. whole race. That's that how be... we start. That's how we finish. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that's April 20th and 21st. 21st. Yes, sir. And it and, will be um, covered on Peacock as well. So make sure to we've tune got in a, for that. We've got a great weekend coming up. You and we I, James. We do. We do. Which is the second um barrel pick the, the second Indiana annual bourbon society. in four years right the indianapolis <laughs> bourbon society has done because of our good friends at buffalo trace we get to go down there and do that experience again so that's this weekend which will be very cool yes we got to first do it in 2019 right before everything you know happened and so we have not managed to make it back but we are now going but back um i i don't know yeah same i'm still trying to figure it out yeah. yeah, I'm still a little confused. Um, and so, yeah, so we're going to go do that with some with some friends, and the bottles will then be sold for the Stop and Go Foundation, raising some more funds for great things. So we're very excited about that. So, guys, uh, thanks for listening. Alex, thanks for your insight on the Acura Grand Prix of Long Beach. Congrats on a solid finish. And, and I just wish, just wish this could be like every week. You know? I'm aware. It was just so peaceful and nice. I feel, I feel it was very productive too. I feel like we got a lot and, done. Yeah, yeah, covered just everything covered. in exactly forty-five minutes. Like I don't and understand. Like we, we didn't even touch on other racing series. We literally managed to get forty-five minutes out of just the one race without those interruptions. Because we didn't have to listen to and... like talking about like stars and stuff and stupid. It should space be noted that walks. Tim Durham now uh, has a website selling the prints that he shoots for his uh, space. I, I like it, like your, your that you made. It's like, yeah, now it's a tax write-off, all these, this now, equipment you're going to buy. Now it's a write-off. He's going to sell one photo for $17 and justify buying himself a $4,000 camera. Write-off. <laughs> Got to take it. Got to take it. <laughs> all right, guys, thanks so much for tuning in, and we will see you next week with probably stories from Kentucky. Peace. Thanks so much for listening to Off Track with Hinch and Rossi. Keep in contact with us on Twitter and Instagram. Our handle is at AskOffTrack. Or you can follow us individually. We're at Hinchtown and at Alexander Rossi. If you want to follow Thim, though we have no idea why you would, he's at the Tim Durham. We really need to get that changed to at producer Thim. The music you heard today is by Ryan Dan of Holland Patton Public Library. Off Track with Hinch and Rossi is produced by Tim Durham. And by that I mean fit.
Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.